Osiris. Hey everybody, this is Eric Krasno and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. This is episode 58. I can't believe we've done this many shows. And I'm just really thankful that y'all are tuning in, y'all are listening and sharing it with your friends. Um, If you like the show, I want you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, but also leave a comment. Uh, and let us know what you think of the show. You can also send me messages at Kraz plus one. That's K-R-A-Z plus one at gmail.com. I also wanted to let everybody know that we've officially launched the guest list, which is the premium version of this show where you can listen ad-free to all the episodes, but also there are exclusive episodes where uh, I'm talking with different guests and deep diving on the different episodes that we've had on the show. Uh, So that's really cool. You can check all of that out and get more information at Osiris pod.com and i want to also give a shout out to the whole osiris media team they helped me put this show together but they also have a lot of other great content and again you can find all of that at osirispod.com so i'm really excited about the guests that we have on the show today uh, i've worked with this man for many many years uh, he's collaborated on my projects i have worked on a lot of his albums And uh, he's somebody that's just always evolving as an artist. He's an activist. He's a writer. He's a DJ. Um, Obviously, one of the most respected MCs in the world of hip-hop. Many of you may know him from his projects like Black Star, Reflection Eternal. Most recently, he's been doing his podcast, The People's Party. And he's also collaborating with Dave Chappelle and Yassine Bey on a new podcast called The Midnight Miracle. But beyond all of that, Talib Kweli is absolutely a legend in hip hop, and it's impossible to deny his influence on the culture. Needless to say, I'm excited to get into this interview with Kweli, but first we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. All right, he's a legendary MC, one of the most respected rappers in hip hop. He's also a DJ, an activist, and now an author. I'd like to welcome today's Plus One, Mr. Talib Kweli. So I saw you guys just announced uh, a new podcast with uh, with yeah. Dave and Yassine. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's called The Midnight Miracle. I have been in, yeah, since the pandemic started, I've been in Yellow Springs, Ohio. Uh, we actually started working on it before the pandemic, uh, but we didn't really get into it really until this last summer right right um, it's a lot of great conversation it's non-linear it's uh a lot of great music which i think you will enjoy it's one of you know it's one of the best things i've ever been a part of to be honest with you wow and uh yeah i saw you guys have been in yellow springs a lot and there's you know kind of everybody's kind of curious what's going on up there can you give me a little insight into i mean i know it's been kind of like a creative compound and Mm -hmm. i've been seeing producers up there comedians writers and it it all kind of happened during the pandemic um can you tell me a little bit about what spawned all of this and and like what y'all are up to up there i think that because of a lot of famous people made their way here people attributed it uh people talk about it as if it's some sort of like um gathering of celebrity right and it really is not that right eric you and i have worked together 
a lot. Yeah. Right. You and I have worked together on our own projects or with other artists. It's like, you know, you're famous in your world. I'm famous in my world. When we connect on stage, people get really excited. But you and I both have friends who are creatives who are not famous at all. Right. And and who who we welcome into our circle because of their uh, contribution to this jam. You know, and so what you saw was a bunch of friends who the connection with our friendship is that we are creatives. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there was a lot of talk about the famous comedians and musicians who fell through. Right. But to me, it wasn't even about those people. It was about the fact that I invited my friends. Dave invited his friends. Friends of friends would invite. It, it was a thing where it's like, okay, this is the only place in the country right now where we could be free because Dave Chappelle is spending all of his own money to test entire populations of, 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 of small towns, you right, know? Right, and right. so that's what it was. And um, a lot of creative connections were made. The Midnight Miracle is going to be the, the thing that comes out of that to people here the quickest and the fastest, but a lot of creative connections were made. I mean, my man David Banner calls me all the time. He doesn't, David Banner hasn't even told me what it is he's working on. He's like, I can't tell you. He's like, but Kwali, I owe you so much thanks because there's something I'm working on so big as a result of you inviting me up to to, to Yellow Springs. Right, so, right. you know, it was the type of thing, if I spoke to you this summer, I'd be like, yo, what you doing? Come through. And it became, the pictures on IG started to look like we were in a summer camp. So I started saying <laughs> that, that it was yeah. a summer camp and that, that kind of stuck. Yeah, yeah. You know, I saw you guys in like canoes and 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 hiking and stuff like that, and like you know, it it definitely had a summer camp vibe. Uh, is there like a studio up there that you guys are creating in, or or I, I'm assuming people just bring their own gear and and, and everyone kind of starts creating? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, you know, I keep a good engineer yeah. with me at all times. Right. So yeah, I, a lot of what I was able to record was just me just being here with my engineer. Shout out to Federico. Yeah. Um, but Dave, uh, there, there's no there. This town needs a stu- a good studio. Right. Um, there we we would go to Dayton. There's a studio in Dayton, Ohio, um, that we would use. Um, but the, the, I mean, this town, this town, this area needs a good studio. That's it's lacking. Well, shout out to anyone in Ohio. Build a studio out there. Well, Dave, Dave has some things in the works, but. And and just initially, Dave just called you to come up there, and I mean, I, I know he just enjoys being around creative people, um, and he just wanted to kind of create um, an atmosphere. I'm assuming for artists to to get together and and build ideas, right? I think it was simpler than that. I think that Chappelle, you know, this is a guy that this is a guy who's very very rich, but still tours like a hundred, two hundred days a year, right? I think he felt the bug of not being on stage. So Michelle Wolf is a comedian who actually got stuck in Yellow Springs during the pandemic. She was actually living with Dave. So he put he had Michelle Wolf in town. You know, he, he, had, he put Donnell Rollins on a jet, put Mo Amer on a jet. Yeah. It was like, yo, I got this space. My homeboy Steve's backyard, he has this pavilion, this sort of gazebo space. Let's just do a show. Let's right. keep the town working. Let's right. see if we can get food trucks let's see if we can get people out and spending money in the town and let's see let's let's set the example to see how we can do this in the safest way possible and he took a chance it started as small as that when i first came out i spent i watched him perform for about two weeks before i even touched that stage right right because i wasn't even sure if it was like what i needed to be doing was 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 being you know i I was it was more like a comedy thing 
It was like him and his comedy friends right, telling right. jokes. Yeah, um, yeah. But since I, I, was, I happened to be in town, I was like, okay, let me do a song. But then it's like, okay, then it's like, okay, now it's, now it's something that's bigger. Okay, well, what if Common and Erica showed up? What if Questlove pulls up? Yeah, you know yeah, what if yeah. well how long can we keep doing this and it, became, it just started steamrolling um i'm curious how you got to know uh chappelle because I, you know i actually got to meet him a few times and the first time i met him was in the studio with you and you actually called me i think it was i remember being late at night because i was like oh, okay let me come through the studio and then i got home in the morning which is 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 a usual thing i know in in your world but i went over there and it was um the cutting room in New York City, and you were putting together quality, and you were like, "Yo, I need some music for an intro," and yeah. I I ended up just making some beats, and I had a bunch of tracks on a CD. We put it in, and Chappelle's in there, and he had think he had already made Half Baked, but Chappelle's show was still still in the works because I remember Neil Brennan was there with him, and mm-hmm. they were like constantly writing ideas down i remember that their kind of vibe was that Chappelle would just be coming up with ideas constantly and neil had this notepad and he'd be like oh that would be funny if we did this you know and they kind of had this thing that was in the midst at the time anyway in that cd of beats he just talked over it <laughs> for like yeah however amount of time and 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 then dave dar sat there was with me and he was like editing it up and that became the intro uh, to quality, but uh, I know you and him were tight before that. I'm curious, how did you guys initially link up? Was he just a fan? He's a fan of my music and the music of people like myself. Um, we met several times. Um, we ran into each other when I was working at Akira Books. We 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 were we were in love with the same girl, ah, and so okay. we used to see each other, um, <laughs> like in her hallway, right. you know. And I used to be like, that was that's the guy from from the nutty professor right and he'd right. be like that's the guy from the bookstore you know yeah yeah because yeah. i was just a dude from the bookstore across the street and wow, um wow okay then years years after that when i was managed by Corey smith and Corey was also managed de la soul yeah um and and high tech uh de la had a show out at some college in ohio and um and I went to the show. I was working with High Tech in Cincinnati, and I pulled up to the show, and Dave was there. And I'm like, yo, I don't know if you remember me from a couple of years back. Right. You know what I'm saying? And we talked, we chopped it up about that. But it, then again, years after that, when I was working in Electric Lady, those storied Electric Lady sessions, those Stoquarian sessions oh, where yeah. it was me and, and, yep. and Dilla and Common and D'Angelo, and I ran into Dave on the street. By this time, I'd already met him twice. Right. And so I ran into him on the street. And I'm like, yo, I'm recording an album. Right. And he was like, he was like, I've never seen an album be recorded. And I was like, come, come up. And he came up and on that day, and then he came the next day. And then he came the next day. So he basically for for the for the electric lady sessions of the Reflection Eternal album, Dave was just hanging out with us in all those sessions. Wow. Which is why when you listen to those that album, there's voiceover drops and there's there's a couple of real ones. Yeah. Uh, Lennox Lewis is real. Um, Gil yeah, Scott Heron is real. Right. But the rest of them are Dave Chappelle. <laughs> imitating people. Ah, that's funny. Yeah, I remember he did the Nelson Mandela. He was like so good at that one. I vaguely remember him being around for a few of those dates because I think I hung around a few days when you guys were mixing quality and kind of like doing the finishing touches. And I remember seeing him, seeing him around. And then randomly, Neil, I think it was Neil that hit me up because the initial pilot that they made for Chappelle's show had one of my beats 
as the okay. theme, right? And then I and little did I know it was gonna be like the biggest show of all time. They ended up replacing it with like the blues guys. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. It's all good. And then I think he, you saw those guys walking down the street. Oh, you like serious? walking around New York City. Wow. Yeah. Is that how that came together? That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, I, I do want to ask a little bit about about the raucous days because I'm curious how you you and Mos were were friends like growing up, like high school friends. I was a fan of Mos Def when I was right. in high school. Yasin Bey, Mos Def, was like a local celebrity. Right. He was he was he was. We knew him from around the around the neighborhood rapping. Yeah. But he 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 had done some TV work. So oh, he was right. on Cosby right. Mysteries and another show with Nell Carter. Um, and so he was a good rapper. He had a group, UTDs. They used to play Urban Thermal Dynamics. They used to play their videos okay. on, on Video Music Box. So he was a guy that I was like, yo, that guy is a dope rapper and right. he's a great actor. Right, um, right. And I was just like, I was, to be frank, I was in awe of him. Right. Because I, right. I, I was just like, what he was doing creatively around the city was, that's exactly what I wanted to be doing. And he used to come in, and I, I knew him from rhyming in Washington Square Park. We developed a friendship to where as he used to come to the bookstore. Once again, there the, the bookstore. I was at the bookstore. So yeah. he he our friendship developed around him visiting the bookstore. And was the bookstore your a fam I know your both your parents are in education. Um mm-hmm. and was was how did the Nikiru books was that in your family or or uh it was not. I hear that a lot. Right. That's become the narrative. And it's because um both my my mother and Yasin's mother and my grandmother, Rush Rest in Peace, ended up working and taking over the, the day-to-day of the bookstore when uh-huh. Black Star blew up. Right. So okay, okay. When Black Star blew up, you could go to Black Star and you see most deaf mom and you see my mom there. So now people remember it as like, okay, that's the store I used to see their moms at. And so right, now it's right. become, well, that's their mom's store. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, no, 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 no. We gave our mothers jobs. You know what I'm saying? Wow, like, that's crazy. I worked at the store. I was just, and Kiru Books was started by a lady named Leothi Miller. Okay. Um, Leothi Miller, Miller started in Kiru because her mother, Adelaide Miller, was an educator. She right. passed away when she's 40 years old. Right. Um, she passed away very sudden, very soon. And when she passed away, her mother, who was retired, Adelaide Miller, came out of retirement to run the bookstore. But her mother, that wasn't her mother's dream. So she hired Leothi's friend, CJ, or I think CJ was already at the store. And CJ, uh, CJ Johnson, she ran the store. She's the person who hired me. I had dropped out of college. I had dropped out of NYU. And I to stay in my mother's house, I needed to get a job. Right, that right. was the deal. Right, and so right. I, but I knew that I needed to be working at a creative place. So back in the days when I was a teenager, when I went job searching, I would only look in record stores and bookstores, record right. stores, bookstores, record stores, bookstores. Right. So I worked at Shakespeare Company before in Kiru. Oh. had a negative experience there. I went to every black bookstore in the city. Right. And I'm like, I need a job at a black bookstore because I right. couldn't work at this white bookstore anymore. Right. And right. Um, they hired me. And then when, when Black Star came out, and Kira was failing because Amazon had just started. Right. They were boxing the, the small independent stores, not just the black stores, but all the independent bookstores were, were, were not getting a fair shake. And the store was failing badly. The store was, was, was doing very, very poorly. And Yasin and I were starting to do well in hip hop. Our first checks, our first big checks, we bought the bookstore from Miss Miller. We ended up going into debt very fast. We ended up losing the store very soon, but we did try. You guys have created like an online store with Inkuru. Yeah, so right? years later, yeah. once I realized, you know, shout out to Ryan Leslie, he helped me build my website, qualiclub.com. And on qualiclub.com, I sell my music, I sell my merch, I sell a bunch of things. It's like a store for all things quality. Right. And once I ran that a couple of years, I realized, I'm like, well, 
The problem with Akira was having a brick and mortar bookstore at that part of Brooklyn as gentrification was happening. She right. says, no way I could afford to do it. Right. And in the the person, the, the company that took Akira out is the biggest company in the world, Amazon.com. Well, how did Amazon.com get get big? They got big by se- remember they were a bookstore first. Yeah. They yeah. started selling books, but they they just connected sellers with consumers. There was not until they became you know, a uh, hundred billion dollar company that they have any brick and mortar or anything. And so I realized, I was like, if I'm selling vinyl and t-shirts, well, why can't I sell books? And if I'm the caretaker of the Akira legacy, I'm going to keep Akira going in a digital space. Right, right, right. Which makes perfect so sense. So Akira Books, you find, it's located on my, on my qualityclub.com website. Right. And there's also an Inkiru Center for Education that your mom's involved in, right? Is that mm. is that related? So that's not really a thing anymore. But what okay. that was, was yeah. um, when the bookstores, when we bought it and we were trying to run it, we found that we just were not in a position to be able to afford to run a bookstore right. at a loss. Right, right. And so my mother, who's in education, uh, she applied for several grants. I think we got one grant. Uh, that we that helped us to run it, keep it open for a couple of years, but um, we made it a cultural center, a nonprofit. The Akiru, so Akiru Books became the oh, Akiru right. Center for Culture and Education, so that we could so we could just keep it open. But once it closes doors, that sort of that sort of a uh, found foundation uh, didn't really exist anymore. So how did Raucous end up? You know, was was most already on Raucous when Black Star? started is that how how you guys ended up in that crew i met the guys from ruckus through john forte years before oh, okay. i signed with them right, right. Um, when they first started and so you know if you remember it wasn't the, the, to be independent wasn't like that wasn't the shit back then right i right. wanted to be on a major label i looked at like if you remember souls of mischief had that record uh, 93 to infinity where, where where a plus goes if you really don't why aren't you signed yet but i right. get my loop right. from dive for, like people were bragging about being signed it's yeah, like, yeah. well, you don't. Why don't you have a record deal? Huh? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I looked at Raucous and when John Forte came to me with them, like, uh, oh, that's that independent underground shit. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah. trying to do that. Right, right, right. But then years later, when I'm now having to work at the bookstore and I got a seed on the way, my first son, yeah, Imani, yeah. and, you know, life starts looking at, you know, coming at you fast. Yasin was a lot more forward thinking always than I was. When it comes to the business, I'm not really a businessman. I think he's more of a businessman than I am. Remember getting a deal with Raucous for for the single for if you call how you can hear and Universal Magnetic, yeah, which yeah. were songs that we were just playing around the crib. And all of a sudden he's like, I got a record deal for these songs. I'm like, wait, how? He's like, Raucous. I'm like, Raucous? Jared and Brian Raucous? I, yeah. I know those guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, how, how much money they gave you? And he told me what they gave him, and it was more money than I'd, I'd ever imagine anyone giving me for anything. Right. It right. was like you know a few thousand dollars. Right. Right. But. My perspective had changed. I went from, I don't want to be on an indie to, they gave you how much money? So Yassine was definitely the inspiration. John Forte, who was like my mentor at the time, he's, he first, I was supposed to be on Ruckus because right. John Forte brought me to Ruckus. I said no. And then Most Def did a deal with them. And I was like, okay, maybe this is where I need to be. Right, right, right. And uh, at around that same time, you, you dropped the song with uh, High Tech and Mood, right? Is that all, is that kind of all intertwined in terms of the timing? Yeah, of- when, I was, when I was sort of working on my Raucous deal, signing with Raucous, Mood dropped an album in 1995 called Doom, right. in which High Tech produced a large portion of the album, yeah, and I'm yeah. on many of the songs. So that was happening around the same time. Black Star also, also was High Tech produced about, like, what, half of that album? 
Yeah, he produced the majority of it. When that when that popped, you guys both ended up making solo albums. And uh, but there was a lot of, of touring behind Black Star, right? Like I remember y'all did like because there was a sound bombing tour and like raucous. I feel like as a result of Black Star, but as also sound bombing and all those other things became kind of a major indie. At least in New York, like everybody was was listening. It was also a reaction to you know like the Jiggy era and and hip hop becoming pop you know, to a certain degree. I mean, did you feel that? Did you feel kind of like you guys were represented a different lane um, than what was on the radio and stuff? I think uh, our connection with Fat Beats and local record stores was very important. Yeah. Um, I think our connection to the vinyl, the big labels were not, you couldn't find Puffy and Mace vinyl. Right, right. You know, you had to be a DJ who's in a DJ pool. You couldn't just be a, a casual fan and go buy the new Mace record on vinyl. And so that was a big deal. Like fans of hip hop know that vinyl is an instrument of hip-hop. Right. It's right. not just a container to get music out. It's a part of the culture. And right. so Ruckus was smart to keep focusing on that. And, um, you know, I think that um, my, my perspective on that is unique because you're right. We pr- provided an alternative to the Jiggy era. And I'll be honest with you, when I look at it in retrospect, I, I didn't even make the connection just now to you ask the question, but I, I'm like, wow, okay. It was almost like I was preordained to be on Ruckus because... John Forte is the guy who taught me everything. He became their A&R. Yeah. All his friends signed a ruckus. Population Click, Seven Universal, all that shit back in the day before I got on ruckus. Then I got on ruckus. Fortify Live was like, had most death on it. The biggest records on, on ruckus are Black Star. That's my record. Yeah. Quality, that's my record. Reflection Eternal, that's my record. Internal Affairs, it's not my record, but I'm on that record. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I, I'm like, I look back at that era and I'm like, wow, I have, I have my hand in all of it. Like, it was really almost built around me and my friends and what I was doing. I just interviewed High Tech on People's Party and Jared, you know, Uprocks was started by Jared, uh, Uprocks. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of still in business with Ruckus. Right, it's, right. I'm, not, I'm not even putting it together. Like, the same yeah. people I was in business with, now we're doing People's Party together. And when I interviewed High Tech, one of the quotes we used was Jared saying that no single producer is more responsible for the Ruckus sound than High Tech. Yeah, yeah. And He's right about that. He's like, he produced the majority of Black Star, the majority of uh, all of Reflection Eternal. Um, you know, it's like, it was, it's really, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. But no, it's absolutely beat fucking true. Beat. <laughs> I listened to that, to that podcast this morning, actually. Um, and cause for me, like, so I moved to New York. I mean, I'm from, I'm from New York. In fact, my mom also teaches at city university, which I was looking mm-hmm. at your, your mom. Does your mom still teach there? Yes. My mom yeah. is still at Meg Rivers, which is a yeah. CUNY college. That's a CUNY college. Right. Um, anyway, but yeah, for, for me and, you know, I, my favorite hip hop coming up was, you know, tribe and, and De La native tongues, but also Pete Rock and you know that was my favorite producer and then uh, you know it became Dilla but High Tech was right in there and I, and he kind of to me was had the feel of those cats but also had like the sonics like he was he wasn't like throwing back you know what I mean he had that boom bat but also like I felt like did you see like, the, did you see the live I did last night I was playing all high tech music for like three hours I did hours. not I did not I that, that would be like my bridge, favorite thing <laughs> I played that bridge to Bama uh high tech version right so so what was crazy is I was a huge raucous fan and you know obviously doing our thing with soul live and we ended up on blue note 
And the A&R at Blue Note, Eli Wolf, was good friends with Jared. So he introduced me to them, and and I started playing guitar, like, on because I was a hip-hop head. You know, I grew up, mm-hmm. Run DMC was my shit when I was a kid, and but I was also listening to jazz and listening to soul music and listening to rock mm-hmm. and whatever. So um, anyway, I always was, like, a huge high-tech fan and listening to Re- Reflection Eternal with, and, and, um, and the Black Star album, uh, you know, I I also felt like his engineering was was top level, or whoever. If he, I don't know if he was like heavily involved in mixing those albums. You know what he was? Do you know what he was doing? He was he was spending what people thought was obsessive amount of time, right, in the mix session. Yeah. He would it would be like it would be like two days long all nighters for mixing one song. Right, 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 and I, that makes sense to me because when I listen to other albums from that era. Like I, those albums stand out sonically, like big time, and and just yeah. and and also like how they had in like the interludes. There was so much attention to detail um, on those records, and and uh, anyway, I, I got to start playing playing on some sessions, and then the Blue Note Rockus thing. Well, we want to do a collaboration, and we got to do the Bridge to Bama remix thing with with you and high tech which for us was like that's what it's funny because soul live was driving around the country playing like jazz festivals or rock clubs or whatever and people would be like oh you guys listening to coltrane and grant green and we were listening to black star you know what i mean that was you know what's crazy about that that song that remix correct me if i'm wrong eric but that sort of really connected and cemented a relationship between two worlds like the the world you're in of traveling jazz musicians and doing yeah. these music festivals and this and that. I wasn't in that world and you guys weren't in the hip hop world. It's like right. that record introduced those audiences. And now that, that now there's this overlap with that community where you see Pharaoh doing his 13 thing. Yep. You see soul rebels doing shit with Jizza. And it's just like, 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 like fans of like what you and Deitch and all these people do, they sort of expect to hear me or a Pharaoh or somebody show up on a record at this point. That yep. wasn't a thing back then. No, it wasn't. I think that I think you're right about that. And then doing like things like we did years later, Bowl Live, where we have our residency at Brooklyn Bowl. But what I realized during that is that yes, our fans are in different places, but there is a huge cross section of yeah. people that that you know. I remember one night you came to Brooklyn Bowl. We had John Schofield, like legendary jazz dude, play the first set, and I think we had a dude from the Allman Brothers in the like second set and then the you came up and did get by and the whole crowd was singing get by that was also singing the Allman brothers <laughs> you know what i'm saying so yeah. there was this cross section that was that was built but yeah i think that was one of the first records i'm aware of where like a current i mean there was a lot of stuff where they would sample jazz artists and stuff like that but like a current band and a current hip hop artist collaborated yeah. a lot of people talk about that and then in the next album we did we started getting, you know, we worked with Black Thought and Amel LaRue. And obviously since then, we've done a lot of shit with different MCs and whatever. But that was the beginning, at least for us. Um, and also that Rockus was this, and Blue Note kind of represented this New York thing. That, that, that record was really, I think, it was, it was a big thing for that. We'll be right back after this short break.
I want to talk a little bit about your new projects. I mean, you. I feel like the thing is, I'm kind of the same way in terms of like, I'm always doing different stuff, but I can't even keep up with all the things that you're doing. Obviously. Oh, stop it. You I'm have serious, 17 man. bands. <laughs> I do have a lot of bands, but um, you... Uh, Started doing the People's Party. I guess that's been going on since before quarantine, but since quarantine is when I became a, a fan of it. Um, and you, like you said, you, you're working with Jared and Uprox. I feel like you've always been in that world of like speaking with people. I've always kind of seen you as a uh, a moderator and as someone who kind of brings people from different worlds. Um, but I'm curious mm-hmm. how People's Party started. Podcasting is is is, is such such a ubiquitous thing right now. I mean, look yeah. what we're doing right now. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like something, I almost feel like people like us start podcasts because it's like, well, they're not going to fucking go away. Right, so right, right. anytime soon, so might as well get in on the action. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? So I started a, a podcast, you know my friend Seth, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, me and Seth had did something with TuneIn that was similar in nature to People's Party, but there was no sort of, I had no backing. Right. I did like seven episodes. I realized that I wanted to do it, but um, I didn't want to do it without a good partner. Jared approached me. He was like, what do you think of doing a podcast? And I, I told him what I had already done. We did it. We just, we just went ahead and did it. But what I like about People's Party is we started out the gate killing it, killing people. We started right. out the gate. We hired the best set design people we could hire. Right, we hired right. the best camera people we could hire. We we lined up the best guests we could get all before we even before episode one. Right. And so when we hit on the, when we hit on the scene, first few episodes was Bun B, uh, Ti, Angela Raj, Jamel Hill, stuff like that. It was like, well, what the fuck is this? And so, you know, people were really impressed by the look our podcast looked like something you'd find on hbo right right um but i don't i think what ended up becoming the star of the podcast is my love for, for the culture and the relationships i had yeah. particularly during the pandemic so it was, it, we, we were running a very good podcast that people were starting to garner some interest but when the pandemic happened and we had to move to zoom the focus is not so much on the production value right. of the podcast it's now right. on oh okay well this is Oh, well, the focus now becomes the consistency of it. Right. right. It's like, okay, wow, he, he he knows everybody. He knows about these subjects. Even the people who I don't know about, it's been very rare. There's a, been a couple people that I never heard of before they came on the show. Um, Melina Abdullah, uh, Roy Choi. Yeah. Um, I can't think of many others. But even with them, like my research is thorough because I'm a fan of journalism. Uh, not as much as I'm a fan of hip hop, but I know the history of journalism. I know what a good journalism looks like. And I get upset when I see shitty journalism. Yeah. So for me to go into this space, I was like, I got to come correct. Yeah. Yeah. I joke about this a little bit, but I'm sure that you know that, you know, when blogs kind of became a thing and and we were touring musicians in like whatever the 2000s and your publicist mm. may not know if this is a real it'd be called like New York, you know, hip hop magazine. And then the dude shows right. up and they have no idea. They're like, so what's it like to be a, a musician, man? And I'm like, oh, man, how did this dude? Man, get I back? just did an interview with like that with somebody because. <laughs> Somebody hit me like they have like hundreds of thousands of followers. And so yeah, just yeah. on the numbers alone, I'm yeah. like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then when I did the interview, I called my people like, yo, who's, who approved this? What, <laughs> this guy doesn't know anything about music. What's going, what's, and they, they were like, yo, and they show, I was like, send me the interview. Send me, send me the email where I agreed to this bullshit. And they that, sent me the, yeah. the email. 
Then it said he this person has this amount of followers. I was like, oh, that's what made me say yes. Right, right. And it, I'll be I'm being a little facetious because this person was a super fan of mine. Like right, they right, were a right. super, super fan of mine, but they had no business doing a music interview. Yeah, we had a couple. I remember we'd show up to like a festival and someone would like knock on the tour bus and be like, where I'm from, what's it called? You know, and then I remember one dude came in and he was like, dude, this is a tour bus? Sick. Yeah, right. And we were like, oh no, this is not going to go well. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he was like, so what do you, you play drums? I'm like, he doesn't even know who the drummer is. I'm like, <laughs> okay. But anyway, uh, but yeah, I, I, I find it interesting, like, you know, because I enjoy listening to your podcast. I mean, of course, I'm a fan of so many of the artists on there. But I also like that you get a different you get a different um, side of people. Not only do you get kind of more, especially because they're your friends, they're comfortable with you. But you, uh, your your interviewing style is also great. You know what I mean? I think I, uh, partly also you being an artist, and partly I think partly from you having done a lot of them. You know what I mean? It's also that you, what you just touched on a very important point. Because I'm an artist and I'm interviewing peers, right. there's this extra layer of me wanting to be protective and wanting the, safe to, the space to be safe, right? So yeah. I, I, as an interviewer, I want to get the real. I want people to be candid. Um, yeah. But as a fellow artist, I'm not there to ask you, to, so the people want to know right, right. questions. Yeah, I'm yeah. not here to be like, to represent what the people want to know. Because if the people want to know about you and your wife, fuck the people. I right. want to know about your music. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm not That's here important. to like get the scoop. Uh, like, I'm 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 here to have a real conversation. Uh, okay. Speaking of music um, and real music, uh, you collaborated with one of my favorite producers, Diamond D, on this new project, Gotham. I've been listening to it the last few days. Just dropped April 21st. You know, it has all those elements of that classic hip hop, you know what I mean? But with like, um, I love the track with Busta on it. And, and you know, one thing in your music that I can always rely on is you speaking, A, the truth and speaking on the times and speaking on what we're going through in this country, in this world. Um, but I want to know a little bit about, you know, how you linked up. I mean, I know you've probably been, been connected to Diamond D for a long time, but, uh, how it ended up being, a, you know, a full length project. Diamond has been, uh, someone who I've been friends with and I've worked on several of his projects together. Yeah. Um, he's always somebody who calls me like he's the OG. So when Diamond calls, there's no questions asked, whatever you need, bro, whatever you need. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I asked Diamond to do people's party and, um, you know, I felt like Diamond wasn't getting his love, you know, right, right. and that's part of the reason why I wanted to do, do People's Party. And and Diamond flew out to do People's Party. He wasn't right. in L.A. Right, um, right. And so because he was showing me the love to, to come out, when he sent me a bunch of tracks the night before right, right. we did the show, I was like, I'm going to impress the OG. Right. And I'm going to write rhymes and record to every single one of these tracks. Wow. I'm going to challenge myself to see if I can do that. Yeah. And I did. I, I recorded, I wrote and recorded to 10 tracks. Wow. Um, about five or six of those 10 ended up making the Gotham album. Wow, so the majority okay. of it was written in one night. But it was, um, that's what it was. It was like when I played it for him, as I'm listening to them, it didn't cross my mind that I, we, I was recording an album. Right. But right. Once, we, once I sat and listened to those songs with him, I'm like, oh, well, this is an album. What, are we, what am I even doing? Right, right. And are you still, um, is, is it, was that through Javadi Media? Yeah, the Gotham album is through Javoti. Uh, it's a partnership. Uh, yeah, it's a partnership with uh, Ingrooves. 
and Diamond Mine, which is Diamond's company. I mean, I know that you've had various different independent uh, labels. Are you pretty much doing most of your stuff through through Javoti now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I am. I I have several. I have a couple other like secretive projects on on the yeah. table that yeah. have that are at other places. But where I put my music out is through Javoti right. and with different partnerships. So Javoti has been partnered with uh, Capital. That's where I put out. Um, a prisoner conscious i've enjoyed partnering with 3d which is the duck down duck down folks uh noah and drew high and buckshot this gotham album is the first uh first thing that comes out of my partnership with ingrooves right right but there will be more right shout out to oz he actually helped me put out my last record ingrew i like oh. those guys um and I know you've got a an album in the works uh, with Yassine, Black Star, uh, the long-awaited uh, sequel album. Can you talk a little bit about that yet? Uh, yeah, I'm, it's it's a good sounding album. I listen to it all the time. Yeah, I, I can't wait for people to hear it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you 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 have helped work on some of that album. Yeah. Um, I will say that the stuff that you've done on that album may or may not be on the album, depending on yeah. how it goes. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, fingers you know, crossed. You, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Hopefully, we'll be able to. On part two of the of the of the of the podcast, we can get it more yeah. into that. But uh, I look, I know there's a lot of people waiting on that and excited about that. But you're you're always putting out new music. One of the things that uh, I also wanted to to say to your credit is that I've found a lot of MCs or artists through you um, that were that then went on to do amazing things. J. Cole, I think was I might maybe have heard on your records first. Kendrick, um, and now obviously Nico is somebody who's on the Gotham album, but that you've been working with um, for a few years. And I was just wanted you to speak a little bit on you know how you liked also Anderson Pack actually I got, got shout out to Anderson Pack um but uh you know your relationship with uh with young artists and you're always kind of searching for new people to collaborate with mentoring people has that always been something you've thought about um since the beginning it's not something i search for it's not something i'm out here trying to do it's just i just sort of falling into that role um yeah. Kendrick is somebody who you know he was he when I used to be married, he came over my house to do a, my wife used to have a radio show in her in our garage. Yeah, and when in the K dot era, he came over and I was yeah. he, he impressed me like this years before he had had a deal. Right, so I just developed a relationship with him for just him being. He's the type of dude who was around people like me when he was younger. Um, but Cole, it was a um, Cole. I definitely. I was checking for J. Cole. Like right. we're working on the Reflection Eternal album. I had I already had a relationship with Jay Electronica, but dude brought him around. And when right. he, she brought him around, it was like we we clicked like gangbusters. Jay right. Electronica was just like the homie. But J. Cole was somebody who I wanted someone on the album that represented what the newer rappers were doing. And so I'm trying to think who even plugged me in with J. Cole. Maybe it was Jay Electronica. I was like, yo, who got who got J. Cole number? Right, right. And I called him and he came through and he laid the verse uh, immediately, you know, but even with Nico, Nico is someone who my son, Amani, was going to Full Sail University in Orlando. I went to visit him and I went to a club and met a guy who was a friend of Nico's right, and right. They, they paid me to be on a song. And then right. they asked me to be on Javodia for year for like a year or two. I said, no, because right. I was like, I don't want to be, I don't, Nico's, I don't, I'm not in position to, um, 
to like manage someone's career. Right, but when right. I saw that they were doing a lot of that managing of his career on 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 his own, I was like, okay, well, we could partner on that way in that right, way. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been following Nico all along. I mean, I mean, I found him through you, but like, he's definitely one of my his just his whole vibe and his whole personality. Um, on a whole is something like I'm, I'm always like waiting for his new shit to drop because I'm, I'm just a fan. So, but yeah, I can't uh, wait to people talk about Nico the way they talk about uh, people like Cole and Kendrick. Yeah, yeah. I think they will, though. I think they will. And then also going way back um, to those quality sessions, when I was in there, you guys were mixing Get By and, and Kanye, obviously, who produced that track, was like on the come up. I ended up being on some of that Sprite tour do you remember that with uh Mm -hmm. with robert randolph and that whole crew and he was on the tour with you at least for some of those shows as basically your hype man am i right (laughs) i I wouldn't say he's my hype man he came out i would bring him out and he would do like three or four songs right of of his own and hype me up for a a part of the show right yeah he was hype even if he wasn't yeah yeah. (laughs) he was he definitely was hype uh but yeah your collaborations uh through the years have always been epic and it's I feel like every time somebody's working with you um they're poised for for big things you know on on Thank all you. levels also want to talk a little bit about you know we talked about your your work in bookstores but now you actually have your own book out yeah. um vibrate higher I wanted you to talk a little bit about you know what went into that had you been working on this for was this a project you've been working on for a long time yeah, working on Vibrate Higher, uh, it took me about four or five years to write. Um, I finished it, like, right as Trump became president. But, I, you know, writing and putting out a book was scary because I haven't proven myself in the literary world. So yeah. it took me a, getting the cover together, getting the right edits. All that took a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. And the pandemic really accelerated that process because now I had to look around and be like, Okay, what can I focus on that's not touring? What are some other things that you did? I mean, obviously the podcast and all these other things. Do you have a lot of music um, in the bank now in terms of, you know, this time off from touring? Well, I, I, didn't, spend a, I didn't spend a lot of time making music in the pandemic. What I did spend a lot of time doing, um, and my Patreon page was helpful. I joined Patreon in that yeah, time, yeah. was there was so much music that was really good that I'd been recording at breakneck speed throughout the years, all those touring years, yeah. I was also recording all the time. Right, right. And I, there's so many examples of me going through my laptop and listening to songs and be like, what is this? When did I do this? Why is this not out? What am I doing with this? I had so much music like that that I just never took the time to smell my own roses. I never right. took the time to listen to, you know, if something didn't make a project at, at the, that I was thinking about at that particular moment, I didn't even think about it anymore. Right, right. And right. so instead, I didn't spend a lot of time recording new music, but I did spend a lot of time going back and appreciating things in my computer that I had not put out. Right, right. Are you going to curate that into another project, or what are your what are your thoughts? Some of on- that, some of that stuff has come out on my Patreon. Um, right. Oh, okay. You know, I put out I put, I put out two songs a, a, a month on Patreon, and sometimes those songs are newer songs that I recorded for the Patreon. But a lot of that is just stuff that was in the vaults. Yeah, I mean, I do remember you always recording like so much more music than when actually come out. I mean, all all artists do. Um, and I've had a chance to work with you on a lot of I was actually looking at it this morning that you and I worked on songs with Nora Jones, Justin Timberlake, um a huge list of of different people, Bun B, 
Um, obviously, I got to work indirectly with Dilla through you on all those uh, eardrum sessions where, you know, we had to replay a lot of stuff. That was, I mean, mad, that was Madly. There was Madly, but we also did some Dilla stuff that didn't end up coming out, actually. Oh, that's right. We did. We did. We worked on some of those Dilla beats that came out in Donuts later. They, I remember that. And I remember we heard Donuts. I for, and we're yeah, like, I forgot. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, I forgot we worked on those Dilla beats. That's right. But that's how I connected with Russ Elevato was through you. And then I've worked with him on so much um, after that. But that was all from that eardrum um, album. But years later, you know, I started working with uh, the Grateful Dead and Phil Lesh in particular. And, and I got to work with them because of you. Right. And I, and, and that that was like this full circle was when um, we did that Apollo show. And a lot of people asked me about that show because like the footage is crazy because you can't. First of all, the, a pretty unexpected collaboration um, in terms of um artists but you know i mean the grateful dead were always on the forefront you know politically and socially so it's actually not that far off but that was yeah. that was when we were trying to raise awareness for the vote and 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 uh it was for that headcount organization but uh at the at the end of the show you came out we did a version of uh shakedown street and then we did get by with the with the harlem gospel choir and the phil lesh band you know, anyway, that that collaboration to me was this like um, collision of these two worlds, but in in a pretty beautiful way at the Apollo, which was which was pretty crazy. Yeah, that all started with Bridge to Bama remix. Yeah, exactly. Full circle. Yeah. Well, what do you, what else you got coming up next that you want to shout out? Anything specific as far as like are you are you back to touring? Like are shoot shows like starting to come up for you? Yeah, I'm I'm not excited to tour. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll go after the right offer, but I, yeah. I'm enjoying not having a tour. I didn't realize that that was a thing. I still enjoy the traveling, but like doing shows every single night and always being away is like, you know, I, I'd never even stop to even understand, you know, what it was like uh, to. I'm the same way, and I was forced to through this situation with the pandemic. But um, yeah. I am I'm glad that I toured twenty. 20- year straight 200 shows a year right but i'm excited about not having to do that right now uh well i definitely appreciate you taking this time man i know you're a busy dude and i can't wait to uh to hear this new podcast with Chappelle and yasin and excited to hear the new music and everything that's been going on um but again thank you for uh for taking the time man thank you Eric. all right brother all right we'll talk soon I want to thank Talib Kweli for being on the show today. Such an interesting individual and such a talent in music. Uh, before we go, I'm going to play one of his most iconic songs, and this is from the album Quality. This track is called Get By. Yeah. We sell crack to our own out the back of our homes. We smell the musk of the dusk and the crack of the dawn. We go through episodes too, like Attack of the Clones. What till we break a bag and you hear the crack of the bone? Just to get by, just to get by, just to get by, just to get by. We commute to computers, spirits stay mute while your ego spread rumors. We survivalists turn to consumers. Just to get by, just to get by, just to get by, just to get by. Why some people gotta live in the trailer Cause like a sailor, I paint a picture with the pen like Norman Miller Me and Wella raised three daughters all by herself With no help, I'm 
think about the struggle and I find the strength of myself. These words melt in my mouth, they hot like the jail cell in the south. Before my nigga core bailed me out. Just to get by, just to get by, just to get by, just to get by. I'm doing die like best stars, see the red sky out the window of the red eye, let the lead flowers, the G-Rap shit, living the left Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kras. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email krasplus1 at gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time.
Osiris.